0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to a new episode and a new week of Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast discussion of all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben Dubose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. As we chat this Monday morning, the Eagle has finally landed. Not officially just yet, but we know, courtesy of Mark Stein, nationally with the New York Times, and Mark Bourbon, locally of Fox 26 Houston. Carmelo Anthony has agreed to sign with the Rockets once he becomes a free agent. It will be a one-year, $2.4 million deal for the veterans' minimum. Carmelo not free yet, but we learned at the end of last week that Oklahoma City, Atlanta, and Philadelphia have agreed to a three-way trade in which Carmelo will be traded from the Thunder to the Hawks. That'll get Oklahoma City the luxury tax savings to some degree that they were hoping for. The Hawks, as a condition of the trade— Uh, we'll buy him out. There's no chance of the Hawks keeping him, of course, because Carmelo has a no trade clause. He only waived it because they agreed to set him free as part of the transaction. So at this point, it's just a matter of waiting for that three-team trade to become official. It's been agreed to, but all sides are waiting for Philadelphia to complete one more move, most likely trading Jared Bayless before that deal for financial reasons. Either way, it's a done deal. It's just a matter of time at this point, and while we've known for a while that the Rockets were the frontrunner, they've been tied to Carmelo for 13-plus months now. At the same time, there have been confirmed negotiations between Carmelo and the Miami Heat. There were suspicions early on about the L.A. Lakers with another one of Carmelo's good friends in LeBron James. So while we always thought that the Rockets and Chris Paul had the upper hand on Carmelo Anthony, these reports today are the first reports of a done deal that it's agreed to, and at this point it's just a matter of Carmelo finally getting his free agency, which is just as simple as waiting for that three-team trade and the buyout to ultimately go through. As far as today's show, we're not going to talk too much about the basketball side of that. I've been talking about that since July 6th, when the report broke from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that Carmelo would be parting with the Thunder at some point this summer due to luxury tax concerns. In short, while I'm not oblivious to the risk, The fact that he's 34 years old coming off his worst season in his 16 NBA years in Oklahoma City last year. The defensive concerns. I understand all the potential downsides, but when you're competing with the Golden State Warriors, potentially five all-stars, the most talented roster ever assembled, you have to take some risk. And Carmelo Anthony, he's a former scoring champion. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, a 10-time all-star It's a risk you have to take if you want to compete with the Warriors. And as far as the concerns over his temperament fit, the fact that Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni are leading the Rockets, two guys that have a ton of personal experience with Carmelo, know how to reach him. And in the case of Chris Paul, probably Carmelo's best friend in the entire NBA, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider that Carmelo's a forward and the Rockets have lost two forwards, Trevor Ariza and Luke Baamute from last season's team. So there are a lot of minutes to fill. That said, if you want more basketball talk, Go back to our archives here at Locked on Rockets. I've discussed that plenty the last couple of weeks. What I want to get to today are the salary specifics, because we have been speculating for a while that it might be the mid-level exception for Carmelo, and it turns out it's going to be the veteran minimum salary of $2.4 million. As a refresher, the reason a lot of us, myself included, were suspecting the mid-level exception, number one, the Rockets had not used it and didn't seem particularly aggressive early in free agency. The taxpayer MLE, worth about $5.3 million per year, the Rockets didn't seem aggressive offering it to other suitors, so we suspected they might be holding it for Melo. And the other reason why it makes sense to give it to Melo is if you give him the mid-level exception this summer, you can effectively pay him next summer, should he work out, because it's a one-year deal for Carmelo, you can give him 120% of the existing contract. So essentially, you'd be able to retain him at an amount somewhere between $5-6 six million a year, essentially MLE money. So instead of using your 2019 MLE to retain Carmelo, like you probably would have had to do to retain Luke Bamute this summer, you could retain Carmelo through his existing contract, and then save the 2019 mid-level exception for someone else. To clarify, because I see a lot of confusion out there, it's never been really about the money for Carmelo himself, because between the set-off, between buyout negotiations with Atlanta... It's not like there's a big gap between him taking the veteran minimum or the mid-level in Houston. In fact, that's why he's so willing to take the veteran minimum salary, especially when you consider that Houston, as a tax-paying team, they only have the taxpayer MLE, which, as mentioned earlier, is about five point three million dollars. They don't have the non-taxpayer, which is closer to nine. And then, as we know, at least a small portion of Houston's current mid-level exception is being earmarked for D'Anthony Melton, rookie guard out of USC because if you use your mid-level exception rather than just standard minimum contracts you can get Melton, who the Rockets really like on a team-friendly deal, likely three years, and then put him into restricted free agency at the end of those three years. So there's a lot of advantages especially if you really like your second-run pick to using the mid-level exception on them and maybe you see the Rockets get Isaiah Hartenstein, who had a strong showing in Summer League on a cheap, friendly deal as well that gives them three years of cheap labor. For a team in the Rockets that wants to get younger, doesn't have that many young prospects, that's something they may be earmarking this current MLE for, which would reduce the MLE from $5.3 million, which it is now, to somewhere between, say, 4 and $4.5 and So then when you look at the veteran minimum being $2.4 million, which it is for Carmelo Anthony, you're talking about $2 million or less of a gap. And that's even before getting into the buyout amount, set-offs, those types of things. So in reality, it never mattered to Carmelo. It was about From the Rockets, from a team-building perspective, should you give him the mid-level exception to make it easier to retain him next summer? Because for this year, Carmelo is going to be paid through his existing contract. Now, we'll see the terms when Atlanta does a buyout. They may stretch it over three years. But the fact is, Carmelo is going to get his guaranteed money, which is over $27 million. So what he gets from the Rockets was fairly inconsequential in the grand scheme. So while it may seem like a sacrifice for him, a goodwill gesture, it's not really about that. For the Rockets, the MLE versus the veteran minimum, it's about planning for future off-seasons. If Carmelo works out the way they hope he will, how do you retain him and how do you have the best chance ...to win a title and surround Carmelo, Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, etc. with the best supporting cast. My initial suspicion was that they would go the MLE route because it gave them more freedom, more resources in July 2019... But in seeing them go the minimum amount, the more I think about it, the more, to me, it looks like they're putting a priority on this season and giving them additional resources moving forward, not just the remainder of this summer, but into the season as well, when a lot of potential buyouts are on the market. For more explanation on how that's going to work, stay tuned. So jumping back into the program... Let off the first segment discussing the finances for Carmelo Anthony taking the veteran minimum salary over the mid-level exception, and why it's not really about Carmelo's desires, it's about the Rockets. And as explained, the reason some of us, I know myself and uh, David Weiner, aka B. Thog, were thinking for a while that the Rockets might be earmarking the 2018 mid-level exception for Carmelo is partially based on the lack of activity on other potential MLE candidates this summer, and also based on the reality of how do you keep Carmelo, because next summer he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and if he plays well in Houston, even at 35 years old, he's a guy who, again, a former NBA scoring champion, 10-time All-Star, first ballot Hall of Famer, it would not take much to reestablish his value. So the Rockets do have to think about how they're going to retain him. Now, to be clear, the Rockets have not punted on the opportunity to retain him by signing him to a veteran minimum deal, because 120% of whatever of the MLE was left after using it a small portion to sign DeAnthony Melton and maybe Isaiah Hartenstein as well would have been around $5, 5500000 million, a starting salary for Carmelo next summer. Well, that's also about the same amount as the taxpayer MLE, which the Rockets will have. So it's not that the Rockets have any less resources to retain Carmelo if he works out. They can still keep him. It's just that by using the veteran minimum salary this summer, it means you would have to use next year's MLE to retain Carmelo rather than essentially the non-Bird tender, I believe is what it would be, 120% of his existing contract, thereby saving your mid-level exception to go somewhere else. So effectively, the trade-off is that to save the 2018 mid-level exception, they are giving up potentially the 2019 mid-level exception as the means of retaining Carmelo. It's a trade that's a little bit surprising to me because we know this summer's free agent class has largely come and gone. There's a few interesting names still out there, but by and large, there's not that many guys seemingly left that are legitimate mid-level candidates. Now, technically, the Rockets do still have the rights to Sergio Yule out of Spain, but my guess is that if the Rockets were going in that direction, we would have heard something by now, since we're close to the end of July. My hunch is that the Rockets are probably now going to roll over most of the MLE, not all. They'll certainly sign to Anthony Milton, and my guess is that they bring Isaiah Hartenstein back into the fold as well, these young prospects. But my hunch is that they roll it over into the season and save it to give them a leg up on the buyout market, because potentially starting as early as December, but certainly By February, and the trade deadline is earlier now, comes at the start of February rather than the middle to end, so there's even more time for buyouts to get into the system and adjust, but that market should be absolutely loaded this year because, yes, you have your normal expiring contracts, guys like Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, those could be potential defensive options at the Wings that the Rockets could look at. If they want another backup center, they could look at Tyson Chandler in Phoenix. But in addition to the normal expiring contracts, guys that are up in July 2019 on middling to bad teams that may just want to part ways to give them a chance to win, you also have the ridiculous amount of players signed to one-year deals this summer. So that's why a lot of people around the league are extremely bullish on the 2019 buyout market. And it could actually start with Trevor Ariza in Phoenix, a guy who was given a bloated one-year contract. But if Phoenix isn't going anywhere, we don't expect them to be, to be, given how strong the Western Conference is, then sure, you could see Trevor Ariza as a buyout candidate, and given his ties to the Rockets, Houston's needs, assuming they still exist, for more perimeter defense, then yeah, you could use your MLE to get a leg up during the season on guys like Trevor Ariza or any of the other buyout candidates that are going to be on the market, because there are a lot of expiring deals, and there are a ton of one-year contracts that were signed this summer, so it should be a very robust, more active buyout market than usual, And it can make a difference, the mid-level exception, in getting you a leg up. I know a lot of these guys, because they're getting paid on their existing contracts, you can say, well, how much does the difference in money really matter? Well, number one, Houston should be an attractive situation regardless. It's going to be a very good team. But secondly, money always helps. That's how the Rockets got Josh Smith back in December 2014, was when he was bought out by the Pistons. And of course, Josh ended up playing a huge role in the 2015 playoffs When Smith was bought out with several years left in his existing deal, the Rockets, I believe it was their uh, biannual exception, the BAE, that the Rockets used to bring Smith into the fold, and that was an advantage over other teams that just had the minimum to offer. So it can be a leg up for you if you're the Rockets to use that mid-level exception as opposed to the other teams that are just going to be offering the minimum. And the few public comments we've heard this month from Gerald Morey, Rockets GM, there's been one consistency. I've seen multiple interviews in which he said, it's about your team on April 15th. And what he means by that is that you have your best roster when the playoffs start. So to me, that's a clear allusion to the fact that what the Rockets have on opening night in October may not be the team they see as potentially dethroning the Warriors in April or May. So to me, it's indicating that Under certain circumstances, the Rockets may be waiting until during the season when moves are more advantageous, such as potentially Ryan Anderson becomes more movable when he comes to close to being the expiring contract, and then, of course, the buyout market, especially if you roll over the mid-level exception. The other reason to potentially gamble on the side of the 2018 MLE instead of the 2019 MLE, again, the 2019 MLE in this scenario, I'm guessing is earmarked for Carmelo. If he succeeds like the Rockets hope he will is that with Chris Paul at 33 years old, everything is about the here and now. To me, that could be, if it was close, what tipped the Rockets to the scales of not using the MLE this summer, not saying, well, we're going to give ourselves more resources in July 2019 as opposed to going for it now. Because with Chris Paul, I'm not going to say that he's on the decline, because clearly his performance last season when healthy was phenomenal. And in the playoffs, he was a top 10, if not top 5 player in the NBA. He was that good. That said, we know the clock is ticking. The window is not open forever. So I th- I think if you're the Rockets, with this team, with Chris Paul in his remaining prime years, every season is precious. So if it was close, and ultimately I think the Rockets saw this decision, Mello for the veteran minimum, Mello versus, for the 2019 MLE versus Mello for essentially saving your 2018 MLE, in my opinion, the calculus comes down to gambling on the side of maximizing every year with Chris Paul and James Harden in their prime. And while I think it probably wasn't the easy decision for the Rockets because it's not concrete, in other words, who are you going to use the 2018 MLE on now? At this point, it's speculative. We're mentioning these names who may get bought out in December, January, February, versus, you know, if you go the other way, there's more of a concrete plan on, okay, you're giving your current MLE to Carmelo Anthony so you can retain him um, via non-MLE means next summer and then use the MLE somewhere else at that time. There's more to that plan. There's more guys who you know are going to be on the market in July 2019. But at the same time, it's not that you're punting on the 2018 season, but you're punting on a resource for the 2018-2019 season. So in my opinion, the biggest factor was that the Rockets... If it was close, and I think they deem this to be close, they want to err on the side of maximizing their resources for this current season for every potential year of the Chris Paul-James Harden partnership when both of these guys are in their primes. And while I don't think they know who the MLE is going to be used for now, since they didn't use it on Carmelo Anthony, I think they feel that there are likely options during the season that could serve their needs, especially more wing defense after losing both Trevor Ariza and Luke Baamute, and perhaps a small factor, too. I think the Rockets feel better about their young pipeline entering the 2019-2020 season than they do entering this season. Because next year, if the Rockets need more additions, they'll have DeAnthony Melton and Vince Edwards entering year two. They'll, barring a massive trade, they'll have their 2019 first-round pick that they'll be able to bring into the fold. So you'll have at least three quality young players, two of them seasoned with a year of experience at that point, that you can potentially upgrade your 2019-2020 roster with. So to me, even if it constrains your options next summer to upgrade by forcing you to use your mid-level exception to keep Carmelo, assuming he works out, then to me, a small part of the calculus could be that the Rockets feel a little bit more bullish on their pipeline of young talent by 2019-2020, potentially being able to fill some of those roles if the Rockets still need further upgrades. Now, the final segment of the show, I've spent the first 15 minutes breaking down why the Rockets, in my opinion, went the veteran minimum route for Carmelo instead of the mid-level exception. And in summary, I think it's a trade-off of potentially losing your 2019 mid-level exception to retain Carmelo for the upside of keeping most of your current exception and rolling it over during the year and being a super active player for buyout candidates, such as Trevor Ariza, potentially, and maximizing your window this season with Chris Paul and James Harden in their prime. There is one other potential theory that I've seen thrown out, but I don't really buy, and that's that it's about saving luxury tax money for Tillman Fertitta. I don't think that that's a big part of the calculus here, but I do want to address it since I've seen a few people, including Dan Feldman of Pro Basketball Talk on Twitter, addressing this possibility. In essence, the argument is that well, Trevor Ariza and Luke Bahamute were more expensive players, Ariza clearly was. Luke Bamute at one year, $4.3 million, slightly more than the minimum, and instead, for luxury tax reasons, went for a minimum player in Carmelo Anthony, and one of the benefits, you sign a guy for the minimum, then the NBA picks up over 50% of the tab. Effectively, the first $1.5 million of it comes out of shared league revenues, and I believe that amount is also not taxed. So when you factor in the tax savings on top of the dollar difference, you can say that, well, they cheaped out. Ultimately, I don't really buy that for one clear and obvious reason, the fact that Ryan Anderson is still on this roster. You have a player making $20 million a year who is not even projected to be in your rotation. That's potentially $60 million plus once you factor in the luxury tax bills to keep Ryan Anderson a guy who is not even going to play. And no, he is not unmovable. We've seen Timothy Moskov, a deal that's even worse than Ryan, $16 million plus per season, and Moskov isn't even playable. Ryan is at least playable. We're a year removed when he was a starter on a team that won 55 games in the West. And Moskov has been moved twice. So no, it's not the Rockets can't move Ryan. It's that they're not willing to pay the price, a.k.a. two future first-round picks, to move that contract fully or at least partially into cap space. In my opinion, if... The luxury tax concerns were so stringent that not only would they let Trevor Ariza at one year $15 million go, but let Luke Bamute go for the small amount between $4.3 million and the minimum, less than $2 million. if they were effectively to not use the mid-level exception other than a very small portion for DeAnthony Melton. To me, with Chris Paul and James Harden in their last two or three prime years, I'm saying that primarily because of the uh, Paul component, of course, and then the reality that the Rockets' future first-round picks for, for the foreseeable future are not going to be good based on the strength of the current roster, if the tax concerns were the driving force, then in my opinion, Daryl Morey absolutely would have moved Brian Anderson in June for the upside of having that $20 million to play with in terms of Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute, your mid-level exception, even if you want to say Ariza was too rich at $15 million, okay, you've still got Luke Baamute who played a key role for you in the regular season, and you've got the mid-level exception and a potentially loaded buyout market. No one can say with any sort of 100% certainty other than those in the Houston front office, but I feel pretty strongly that if taxes were the concern, Ryan Anderson would not be on the roster today. We've also had several other moves this offseason paying $1.5 million to buy an extra second-round pick in Vincent Edwards that we have no idea if he's going to pan out. He very easily could have gone undrafted. We also had the interview that Tillman Fertita did with Tim McMahon of ESPN over Summer League in which he said the tax was not influencing any of their decisions. Now, I think that's a slight exaggeration. I think clearly the tax played some role in their willingness to let Ariza walk. But to go from saying that There's no relationship to where it's so stringent that even the small gap between Luke Baamute and his $4.3 million deal versus the minimum that Carmelo Anthony was willing to take was the justification for those moves. I have no idea why Tillman Fertitta would say that. That makes no sense. Not like it was required media availability. He went out of his way to do that. So if you were going to draw a line in the sand that's that firm, number one, I think Gerald Morey would have moved Ryan Anderson preemptively. But number two, why would the, the owner go out of his way to give an interview and address the subject when he didn't have to? There's no required media availability. There was no reason for Tillman Fertitta to go on the record. It's his basketball team. He can do what he wants. If resources are that tight, I don't think Ryan Anderson is here. I don't think Tillman does the interview. And quite frankly, for that matter... I'm not even sure Gerald Morey is still here, because as mentioned last week, we know Morey had a great opportunity to take over a loaded team in Philadelphia in a huge market in a weaker Eastern Conference. If the financial constraints were that tight, the other things that have played out in July are not consistent with that theory. I think we could actually go a step further and say that if the constraints were that tight, I don't think you give Chris Paul a full max deal, albeit for four years instead of five, at the stroke of midnight on July 1st, if the constraints are that restrictive, because I don't think Chris Paul was going to get that offer elsewhere on the market. I think you could have played hardball with Chris the same way they have to some extent with Clint Capella. Of course, they're more willing with Clint because he's restricted and they can match any outside offer. He could theoretically receive, but handing out a $40 million a year contract to a point guard who's going to be turning 37 in the final year of the deal It's not something you do if your hands are tied. Keeping the best GM in in basketball, when maybe the most loaded situation with young talent in the league, when that gig comes available in a huge market with players of ages that are much more friendly than the current roster in Houston, that GM does not stay if the constraints are that tight. Ryan Anderson, a $20 million a year player who is not even going to play, is not just effectively kept at the end of your bench as a potential trade ship. At this point, that's the upside for Ryan, is that the longer you wait, maybe by the deadline, certainly by next summer, you can use him as an asset, as an expiring deal. Maybe he doesn't become a positive asset, but at least he's not a negative one. And maybe that's another small part of the calculus, why the Rockets were willing to give up their 2019 mid-level exception, if necessary, to retain Carmelo, because next summer, potentially, you can make more upgrades via trade, because you have Ryan Anderson's salary-matching ability, and he won't be a negative asset at that time. But you don't pay $20 million for, potentially, a trade asset a year down the road if the constraints are that tight. So, in closing, while I understand the financial argument, you see a guy taking the veteran minimum, especially with the NBA picking up over 50% of the tab, and you want to draw a conclusion, especially because we can agree that at least part of the off-season decision-making, Trevor at one year, $15 million, was the decision not to offer that was in part because of luxury tax concerns. And I understand that some people are going to draw a connection or attempt to between all of these things. But ultimately, I don't buy it. I think letting Luke Bamute go had a lot to do also with his shoulder, the fact that One more potential dislocation could lead to a surgery, which at that point you're probably looking at him being out for the year, or at least three or four months. And the fact that they had a guy like James Ennis that they could replace at a veteran minimum salary and give you potentially the same production, albeit much younger and with more upside, with Ennis being 28, as opposed to uh, Bahamute at 32. Ultimately, time will tell. We'll see if the Rockets eventually use the MLE, but my guess, for all the reasons that I've been laying out, is that they will, and it's just a matter of waiting for the buyout candidate to hit the market, which probably won't happen until sometime during the season. Anyway, with that, we'll wrap up today's Carmelo Anthony uh, financial update. Again, the news of the day, according to Mark Stein of the New York Times and Mark Berman of Fox here in Houston, is that Carmelo has agreed to a deal with the Rockets that he'll sign once he gets his uh, free agency. But... If you followed me here at Locked on Rockets, you know good and well that that's not really the story. We've known that for some time. The real news is that Carmelo is taking the veteran minimum salary instead of the mid-level exception. And based on that, there are some uh, changes that I think we should make to our expectations going forward forward. for the next, I would say, really 13 months because clearly you're more of a player now for buyouts this season and perhaps slightly less of a player in free agency next summer because you're probably going to have to use your mid-level exception in July 2019 on Carmelo Anthony to keep him if he works out as the Rockets clearly believe he can and hopefully will. So with that, we'll wrap up today's show. As always, thanks to you guys for tuning in and listening as frequently as you do. If you want more content from me in the interim, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at on Rockets. Don't forget, we also have an email address, Locked on Rockets at gmail.com, a website at LockedOnRockets.com, a Facebook account at Facebook.com slash Rockets. Always, you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries. Anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the Rockets fan, or even you, the human being, don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. Also, if you haven't subscribed to us already, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, the odds are wherever you listen to your podcast, you can probably find this because we have a great network of shows across the Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got NBA, NFL, that includes the Houston Texans who start training camp this week. My buddies Robert Land and Brian Patterson will have that covered over there. Also got MLB expanding into college football. So we've got a lot of great things going on across the network. And one of the advantages of being part of such a big network is that you can find this on pretty much wherever you listen to your media. So again, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do. And if you would also be kind enough to leave us a five-star review, that's one thing you can do to make us attractive to potential advertisers and keep the business model working here at Locked on Rockets, or for that matter, Locked on Texans or any other show, and keep us going as the most regular podcast covering these teams. So for now, I will sign off. Hopefully you guys enjoy the start to your week, and we'll be talking again very soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast discussion of all things Houston Rockets basketball.